I were to take a quick survey of everyone in this room and I asked you your top five favorite gifts, I wonder what you would write. I wonder if you would mention the gift that we're going to discuss this morning, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to discuss that gift together. And you say, oh wait, I didn't know you were talking about spiritual gifts. Now if you talk about spiritual gifts... Well, I wonder if you were even thinking about things that God has given you because of your relationship with Christ, would you have mentioned the Holy Spirit? If you were writing down your top gifts, you might have written things like forgiveness of sins, heaven, a relationship with God. But I wonder how many of us would write down the gift of the Holy Spirit. I would wager not many of us would write down the Holy Spirit as a significant gift in our lives. And that's because I don't think the church of Jesus Christ understands the implications, the full import of what it means that God has given us the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that's going to help us to walk through who the Spirit is and His role in our lives. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. Acts chapter 8, verse 14, as we continue our study, line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful book in the Bible. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. We're going to study down through verse 25, but we're just going to read at the beginning of this time uh, the first three verses, or first four verses. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. 14, I'd like to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, truth with no mixture of error. I'm grateful for my Bible. And I know to our graduates this morning, we gave you an ESV study Bible. That's the Bible I use, and I love it. Read it. Read it a lot. Read it every day. And uh, God will guide you through that and empower you through that. So grateful for God's Word. Amen. Oh, and by the way, just for a moment of personal privilege, I'd like to wish my beautiful wife, Claire, a happy birthday. Today's her birthday. Happy birthday. I love you. You say, wait, why are you doing that? Because I have the microphone and I can. All right? Amen. Amen. Grateful for my wife. Really am. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. The Bible says, Now, When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We are so grateful, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love. We are grateful today for your presence in this place. And Lord, as we talk about, discuss the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in our midst. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the timeless truths of Scripture and give us the wherewithal, Lord, give us the the desire, the passion to live according to what we've learned. Holy Spirit, would you anoint my, my preaching and would you anoint the hearers that we might all have ears to hear. And grant us the grace, Lord, lead our hearts, point our hearts to Jesus Christ, the author 
and the finisher of our faith. May Jesus Christ be exalted in this place. And we'll thank you and praise you for that. We love you today, and we honor you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Last week, we discussed how the church transitioned from being a campfire to a bonfire to a wildfire. In Acts chapter 8, we see that persecution comes against the church, and the church is scattered from Jerusalem into Judea and into Samaria. But here's the deal. As the Christians were scattered, everywhere they went, they were sharing the gospel. So folks were getting saved, and the movement of the gospel spread like a wildfire across the land. And we see uh, multitudes of people being swept into the kingdom of God. And we studied that last week. Well, Peter and John are sent from the church in Jerusalem to investigate what's going on, because they heard about this mighty movement of God among the Samaritans, so they're going to go see what's up. They're, as the leaders, the apostles of the church in the first century, they're going to go to Samaria and, and investigate what is happening. And as, and as they go to investigate, we see some important information about the Holy Spirit. As we study what happens here, it helps us to understand the presence of the Holy Spirit and uh, His His ministry in all of our lives. So I want to just walk through this passage under three headings as we discuss the gift of the Holy Spirit. First of all, I want you to see that the indwelling Holy Spirit is a gift from God. The indwelling Holy Spirit is a gift from God. Notice what it says there in verse 17. It says, Then they, that's Peter and John, the apostles, laid their hands on them. That's the Samaritan believers in Christ. And it says that they might receive the Holy Spirit. It's not something that they earn or they are jockeying for. They are granted this gift whereby they receive the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 18, Now when Simon, and we'll talk about Simon in a moment, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, notice that word, given, through the laying on of hands, the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And so the, this man, Simon, recognizes that the gift of the Spirit is, is, is given, is granted to these believers. And this lines up, of course, with what Peter said in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Look with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I want to show you what Peter says about the Holy Spirit as he is preaching. Peter said to them, those that wanted to embrace the gospel, respond to the gospel... Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive, watch this, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible is clear. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God. So you might say it like this. The Holy Spirit is a gift of grace. Now I want you to direct your attention back to Simon because Simon didn't get grace. Who is this Simon fellow? We were introduced to him last week. And just to kind of refresh your memory, look back with me in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. It says, There's a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. In other words, the people were enamored with Simon as he practiced his magic. I believe he was probably practicing demonic magic and wowing people with, with supernatural things. 
And it says, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But, look in verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, it says. After being baptized, he continued with Philip. After seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So he's doing his magic tricks, if you will. But when Philip comes on the scene and begins to preach about Jesus and God accompanies his preaching with supernatural signs and wonders, Simon's like, whoa, never seen anything like that before. And he's amazed and even says that he believes. But when Peter and John come into town and they lay their hands on these Samaritan believers and he sees the Holy Spirit given to them as a gift, he is interested. Look what it says in verse 18 it says, when he saw this happen, he offered them money. And he said, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, Simon's saying, I believe that if I give you money, I can purchase the power of God. Isn't that what he's saying there? And look at how Peter responds to what Simon is saying. Peter said, verse 20, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So Peter rebukes Simon for thinking he can purchase the power of God and purchase the ability to grant the Holy Spirit to others. And after he's rebuked, he says, well, pray for me that none of these things happen because you rebuked me, and I don't want to be in a position of being rebuked by God. Now, there's some debate about Simon. Some folks say that Simon was a true believer. He was just misinformed, and he needed to be set straight. Others believe that Simon's belief was not true belief, not genuine belief, and it's evidenced by the way his heart is, is wanting to buy the power of God and that he never really truly repented. Some of the early church fathers say that, that history records that Simon was the first heretic in the early church. And so we don't know for sure. The Bible does not say what Simon's future was. Was he a real believer who needed to get more information? Or was he a false believer that needed to be rebuked? We, we don't know exactly what the situation is, but here's the point. Simon believed that he could buy God's power with money. He didn't understand grace. The Holy Spirit is given as a gift of God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve the Holy Spirit. We didn't purchase the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift. Hey, and by the way, there are still many people today on radio airwaves and television airwaves that teach that if you give the right amount of money, you can purchase God's power for your life, right? If you just sow your seed of money into their ministry, then God will heal you or give you a new house or a new car. Now, I want you to understand that is a demonic doctrine. The idea that you can buy your way into favor with God, that is a doctrine of the devil. Can I be any more clear? So if you hear people preaching this prosperity stuff, that if you give the right amount of money, sow the right seed, then God will give you what you want. You need to run from that and turn it off and open up your Bible. Can I get an amen? You cannot purchase God's favor. And he, he thought, if I just give the right amount of money, 
then I can have that ability to, to extend God's power to others. He did not understand grace. The Holy Spirit is a gift of grace. And here's what I want you to understand about being a Christian and the gift of the Spirit. Becoming a Christian is more than, it's more than forgiveness and a future in heaven. Becoming a Christian is more than forgiveness and a future in heaven. Now, I, let me go on record saying I'm grateful for forgiveness, aren't you? When I was nine years of age, I understood I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I called upon the name of the Lord, and the shed blood of Christ was applied to my spiritual account, and the blood of Jesus washed away my sins. God forgave me of everything I've ever done or everything I ever would do. God completely forgave me in His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful my sins have been washed away. I'm so grateful for forgiveness. How about you? And I'm grateful that I don't have to fear death because my sins have been washed away, because there's no separation between me and God, but because God is my father now and I'm adopted as his son, I know that when I die, I will not go to hell. When I die, I will step into eternity in the presence of Jesus in that wonderful place called heaven. I'm grateful about my future in heaven. How about you? But I want you to understand that Christianity is more than just forgiveness in heaven. I'm grateful for those two realities, but also when you embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are granted the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it to you like this. Christians are also given the incredible gift, listen, of the third person of the Trinity. That happens when you are saved. You are granted that wonderful gift. You understand as a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, has taken up residence in you. Do you understand that? How awesome that is? Now, we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. The Bible teaches that. There's one God in essence and nature existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is not a distant, impersonal force that kind of floats throughout the universe. He is not some kind of divine energy. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And when you embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Wow. So we need to understand that salvation is more than forgiveness in heaven. God gives us the Holy Spirit to change our lives, to transform us from the inside out, and give us the the capacity to begin to obey God and live holy lives. It's like giving your children many gifts on Christmas morning. You just, I mean, you just shower them with gifts. They got a bunch of things and, and they kind of hone in on one gift. You know, they're like, oh, they want to just play with this one gift. And you want to remind them, hey, don't forget the pony outside, right? I mean, you, you, you love the Legos. We bought you a pony, right? And sometimes it's easy for us to focus on some of the gifts of God and forget other gifts of God. It's easy for us to think about forgiveness and heaven and relationship with God, but we need to understand the implications of the reality that the Holy Spirit of God has come to live in us as a gift from God. Wow. So if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Now, here's another principle I want you to see about the Holy Spirit. Not only is the indwelling Holy Spirit a gift from God, 
But the Holy Spirit is a gift for all believers. The Holy Spirit is a gift for all believers. Now, direct your attention back with me to Acts chapter 8, verse 14. It says, When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet, watch this, he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In this passage, there is a delay between the believer's conversion to Christ, found in Acts chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They, they place their faith in Christ, as Philip preaches in Acts chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, but there's this delay of receiving the gift of the Spirit until Peter and John arrive and place their hands on these believers. Which leads us to this very important question. Why the delay? Why is there a delay between them believing and them receiving the Holy Spirit? Why this delay? Well, you need to understand there are two major views of this passage. I want to walk you through these two views and then share with you what I believe is the right interpretation of this passage. The first major view is this. This story in Acts should be seen as normative for every Christian. The first view says that. That we should say, hey, this is how it happens. You place your faith in Christ, and then after a time, if you're in the right condition spiritually, then you will be granted the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. Or some say you will be baptized in the Spirit. This view teaches that a saved person needs to fully surrender to be baptized in the Spirit. So you're saved, but you haven't really given all. And if you really give all to God, then you will be baptized in the Spirit. And so that's one view. This passage is normative, that we should all say, this is how it should be for every believer. Now, if you came from perhaps a Pentecostal background you were probably taught something similar to this view, that, that we should seek a, a baptizing in the Spirit that happens after our conversion to Christ. And that's one major view, one way to deal with this passage. Let me give you a second interpretation. The second view is that this situation is not the normal experience for Christians. Now, we need to understand that, that the book of Acts is not necessarily prescriptive. In other words, the story is just being told. It's not telling us this is what we ought to do. It's just describing how things were actually done. It's descriptive. And the second view says that this is not the normal experience for Christians in today's time. The sequence of events, belief in Christ, delay, hands laid on, Holy Spirit falls. The sequence of events was for a very specific purpose. That's the second view. Now, Wade, Wade, which is the the better view? I believe the second view is the better interpretation. And I want to tell you why I believe that. Why I believe the second view is the one that we ought to hold to. First of all, we don't see this pattern repeated throughout the book of Acts. In other words, if this was normative for every Christian, we would see the same sequence of events, belief, delay, Holy Spirit... We would see that happen over and over again, right? But it doesn't happen like that. Let me show you a couple of examples. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. 
Peter had been led by a vision to go to Cornelius, a Gentile, and share the gospel with him and his household. And he's preaching in, the, in, in Acts chapter 10. It says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. In other words, God interrupted his sermon. I love that. You know what I want? I want God to interrupt some of my sermons. But before I even get through, God just begins to just move in folks' lives. Wouldn't that be awesome? But he's preaching, and God interrupts his sermon. And the people that are hearing the word, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. And so this sequence is different. Instead of them believing and then receiving the Holy Spirit, while they're listening to the message, when they believe in Christ, at that moment the Holy Spirit falls and then they're baptized. And so the sequence of events is different here. And so if Acts 8 was normative, then something's gone wrong by Acts chapter 10, right? Let me show you another passage. Turn to Acts chapter 19. This passage is also used to support the first view, the first interpretation I shared with you, that Acts 8 is normative. But there's a major difference here in Acts 19 from Acts chapter 8. Look what it says in Acts 19 verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So this looks similar, right? Belief, delay, Holy Spirit given by the laying on of hands. But there's a major difference here. They tell Paul, all we know about is the baptism of John. We heard about John the Baptist, who's the forerunner for the Messiah. We heard about his preaching, and we believed that what he said was accurate. We've been looking for the Messiah. And Paul could say, guess what? He's come. His name's Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave. He's alive today. And when they heard that they believed in Jesus, and it was after their belief in Jesus that they were to receive the Holy Spirit. So there's a difference between Acts 19 and Acts chapter 8. And what I'm trying to show you is this. It's different in different passages in Acts. The sequence is different. Let me tell you another reason that we hold to the second view, uh, the second interpretation of this text in Acts chapter 8. None of the epistles, write this in your notes, this is in your notes, none of the epistles teach that we should seek for a baptism of the Spirit after our conversion. So you can read about you can read Romans or 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude. You can read any of those epistles, and in, in none of those epistles are we told to seek after our conversion a baptism of the Spirit. It's just not in those letters. And surely, if we were to be baptized in the Spirit 
after our salvation. The Bible will tell us, hey, you need, to, you need to get baptized in the Spirit. But it simply does not tell us that. You won't find it in any of the epistles. Also, the epistles teach that the baptism and indwelling of the Holy Spirit happen at conversion. In other words, different from Acts 8, we receive the Holy Spirit at the moment we are saved. Let me show you a couple of verses. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So he's saying there that, that those who were in the body of Christ, everyone in the body of Christ, that's the context of chapter 12, were all baptized into the body. By the Spirit. Now that word baptize is an aorist tense uh, word in the Greek, which means it's, it's a past completed action. The moment you were placed in the body of Christ, that's when you were baptized in the Spirit. That's when you received the Holy Spirit. And to make it even more clear, Ephesians gives us a sense of the sequence of events. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you this is so clear. Look what it says, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Notice the order of events here. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So at the moment of belief in Christ, that's when you were sealed, baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's when it happened, the moment of conversion. And so I believe the Bible teaches very clearly Acts chapter 8 is not normative. If it was normative, the epistles would give us more information about it. But it's not normative. So so the epistles say, listen, when you're saved, that's when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, at the moment of conversion. That means that when I was nine years of age, at the moment I called upon the name of the Lord, I was forgiven, I was brought into a relationship with God, And at that moment, nine years of age, the Holy Spirit of God came to take up residence in my life. And he sealed me. He's been there ever since. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches. Now, does that mean after we're saved, we're to give no thought to the Holy Spirit? I mean, he's there, so we don't have to think about him anymore. Well, that's not what we're to think. As a matter of fact, if you look there in your notes, Christians who are indwelt by the Spirit, which happens at the moment of conversion or to seek a continual filling of the Spirit, which means the Spirit controls and empowers their lives. So we're never commanded to seek a baptism of the Holy Spirit because you received it when you were saved. It was a gift. But we are commanded in Ephesians 5.18 to seek the filling of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine wherein is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The comparison there with wine is to teach that that wine, or, or there, there should be no substance that controls you. By contrast, the Holy Spirit should be in control of your life. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It means that the Spirit who indwells you controls you. Now, in Ephesians 5.18, when it says be filled with the Spirit, it's a present tense verb, which means it's to be a continual uh, reality in our lives. That means every day we as believers... 
should seek the filling of the Spirit. Every day, we should surrender to God anew and afresh and say, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. Fill me up, guide me, empower me, lead me, use me. Holy Spirit, would you influence me? Would you control my life? Present tense, every day we should do that. Aorist, baptism, past tense, happened when you were saved. Filling, present tense, should happen every day as you surrender all to the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life. And so, as believers, we are to continually seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. We need Him to take control of our lives every day. Every day we should give Him control. And let me give it to you like this. This is a good way to memorize it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is resident in your life. Everybody say resident. To be baptized in the Spirit means that when you were saved, the Holy Spirit immersed you, that's what baptism means, and He came to take up residence in your life, putting you in the body of Christ. The filling of the Spirit means that He is president of your life. Everybody say president. It means He's calling the shots. He's boss. You are giving Him daily control of your life and letting Him have His way in you. And so I believe the second view, that Acts chapter 8 is not normative, is the correct view for Christians today. But here's the question. Okay, why is there this delay then? Why is there a delay between them believing in Christ and them actually receiving the Holy Spirit when Peter and John ride into town? Well, let me share with you why I believe there is this delay. This is in your notes. The apostles, as leaders of the church, needed to witness the Samaritan Pentecost so that they would have no doubts that the gospel was for the Samaritans too. In other words, Peter and John needed to see the Holy Spirit fall on the Samaritans just like he fell on the Jews. Because there's this great prejudice between Jews and Samaritans. So they needed to understand that Samaritan followers of Christ are not second-class citizens. They have the Holy Spirit just like the Jewish followers of Christ do. And they needed to see this with their own eyes. I think it's interesting that John goes with Peter to see this. And here's why it's interesting. Let me show you another experience John had with the Samaritans in Luke chapter 9. Turn turn with me, Luke chapter 9. I want to show you that this is fascinating. Very quickly, Luke chapter 9. Verse 52. It says, He, Jesus, sent messengers ahead of him who went and prepared a, entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So the disciples said, Hey, Jesus is coming through. He's going to you know, spend a little time here, but he's going to Jerusalem. They said, Well, if he's going to Jerusalem, we don't want anything to do with him. All right, He must not be our Messiah if he's not going to stay with us, the Samaritans. And it says, But the people, verse 53, did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, this is the same John that went to the Samaritans with Peter in Acts chapter 8. When James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. So just shortly before Acts chapter 8, John says, Jesus, should we call for fire 
to consume these Samaritan people. And then in Acts chapter 8, he gets to see with his own eyes those Samaritans that he distrusted. He probably had some deeply embedded prejudice toward them. He got to see them saved and receiving the gift of the Spirit just like he had. And he needed to see it. That's why there is this delay. Wayne Grudem writes, A better understanding of this event, this delay between belief and the, the, the baptism of the Spirit, a better understanding of this event would be that God in His providence sovereignly waited to give the new covenant empowering of the Holy Spirit to the Samaritans directly through the hands of the apostles so that it might be evident to the highest leadership in the Jerusalem church that the Samaritans were not second-class citizens, but full members of the church. Peter and John could go back and say, hey, we saw it with our own eyes. The Samaritans are followers of Christ just like we are. They have the same Holy Spirit just like we do. And that would build a unity in the church between Jews and Samaritans. And then they saw Cornelius and his household receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Gentiles. They, a unity between Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, because all followers of Christ receive the Spirit of God. Here's what it means for us in this room this morning. The Holy Spirit is not just, a, just, not just for a certain class of believers. He is given to every believer in Christ. The apostles need to understand that, and we need to understand that. And it's really genius when you think about it. How God fills every believer with Christ, and this unifies the church, and, and breaks down barriers, divisions. I've been to India a couple of times, and India has this, this caste system. and It's not official anymore. They'll tell you that there's no official caste system in India, but I want you to know that they operate daily in the caste system. The caste system is, is deeply embedded in their culture, in their Hindu religion, and it's a, a dark, oppressive way of controlling segments of humanity. It's an evil deal. But here's what's awesome about India. The gospel is moving throughout India. And what's going to happen is people from different castes that would never socialize, would never, would never cross paths, never rub shoulders, never spend time with one another, never help one another, never serve one another, people from different castes are going to get saved and they're going to get the same Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, these caste members are going to be on the same page, all in the body of Christ, all forgiven by God's grace, all indwelt by the third person of the Trinity. And those walls of division, those, those castes will begin to dissolve under the power of the gospel. Isn't that awesome? It's what it did in the first century. It broke down barriers because everybody got the Holy Spirit. There's no first class, second class, third class. If you're in Christ, God has given you the gift of the Spirit. We're all on the same page. We are all recipients of God's amazing grace. So I believe that's where there was a delay. Peter and John needed to see the Samaritans receive the Spirit just like they did. But there's one final thing, and we'll be through very quickly. We've said that the indwelling Holy Spirit is a gift from God, and the Holy Spirit is a gift for all believers. But third and last, the Holy Spirit empowers gospel ministry. Look what happens back in Acts chapter 8 when Peter and John see the Holy Spirit fall and they go to leave. It says in verse 25, When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem 
preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So on their way back to Jerusalem, they're stopping in villages preaching the gospel, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Acts 1.8, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He said, you'll be my witnesses, listen, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in all Samaria. So the Holy Spirit, who had, had indwelt Peter and John, was compelling them to go village to village and share the good news about Jesus Christ. And listen to me, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He moves us towards lost people. That's what he does when he has control of our lives. Let me say it like this. Ultimately, the gift of the Spirit is not merely to give us a spiritual experience. And this is important because you go to some churches and they talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. But their concept of the Holy Spirit is this. When the Holy Spirit moves in your life, you'll have this great experience. Warm fuzzies, chill bumps. Some teach this erroneous idea of slaying people in the Spirit. And it's all about the experience. I come to church to get the experience, to get the warm fuzzies. But that's not the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives to change us, to point us to Jesus, and to send us to the lost with the gospel message. Now, if you are filled with the Spirit, will you have some experiences with God? Yes. God will move in your life. If you're filled with the Spirit, listen to me, it'll change your worship on a Sunday morning if you're filled with the Spirit. It'll change your approach of going to work if you're filled with the Spirit. It'll change the way you interact with your family if you're filled with the Spirit. You will experience the grace and goodness and power of God in fresh and new ways. But... The Holy Spirit wants to do more in your life than just give you the warm fuzzies. Did you hear me? The Holy Spirit wants to move you toward the lost so you can be a powerful witness to Christ Jesus. So let me close with this. God wants us to follow the Acts 1-8 pattern of sharing the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me illustrate it like this. For you to believe that the Holy Spirit is just about experience would be like you putting gas in your vehicle so that once a day you could sit in your car, crank it up, turn on the air conditioning, and listen to the radio. And think, hey, I got gas, so I can listen to the radio, I can, I can, I can experience the air condition. End of the day, you turn off the car, you go, come back the next day, turn it on, turn on the radio, turn on the air conditioning, say, that's why I have gas in my car. So I can do this every day. I can experience the, the cool air condition. I can hear the radio. Now, is that the purpose of gas? No. Gas ultimately is put in your car so you can drive somewhere, right? The Holy Spirit is not just about experience, even though He will bless you and move in your life in His fullness. He wants, to, he wants to drive you somewhere. He wants to move you toward the loss across the street and around the world. And so a spirit-filled church, listen, a spirit-filled church doesn't just talk about spiritual experiences. A spirit-filled church ought to be running to the lost. That's one of the ways you know a church is spirit-filled. Are they concerned about the lost? Let me sum up this sermon. I know we talked about a lot of stuff, but let me just give you the point of it all. We should be grateful for the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
and we should live and witness in his power. There's a lot more the Spirit does in our lives. I don't have time to get to this morning. We'll get to it later. He, he, he illuminates you as you read the scriptures. He, he makes you holy. He transforms you. He, there's all kinds of things the Spirit does. He gives you joy. He, he, he'll bear his fruit through your life. I mean, there's so many things we could talk about related to the Holy Spirit. But here's the deal. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. Be grateful God's given you the Holy Spirit. And seek to daily live and witness in His power. Because I, I want you to hear me. Nothing can stop a group of believers that are filled with the Spirit going forth with the gospel. A group of believers that are filled with the Spirit sharing the good news will spread like wildfire. You can't stop it because it's empowered by God Himself.